Podcasting live from the greater San Jose area. It <laughs> is the Dad Bod Rap Pod. I'm one third of your host, Damone Carter, aka Dim One, joined by my broski, Nate LeBlanc. What's happening, man? Oh, not too much. Um, I've had a very good time re listening to this record. Like, I hadn't like spent significant time with it in a long time. It's a freaking really good record. Yes. Um, and sold a kajillion fucking records, too. It's one of those rare things. Uh, also joined by my man, the big boy of our crew, <laughs> <laughs> David Ma. Terrible. Lucius Rightfoot. <laughs> um, shout out to Outcast. Um, you guys heard this um, this week that Love Below or whatever speaker box. Mm-hmm. Um, the number one selling rap album of all time. Of all time. Oh, good. That's of interesting. All time. Really interesting. Yeah, that's yeah. a really interesting and the, record. And the list is very interesting as well. Yeah. But, yeah. but I'm glad that that is. Hey, y'all made the American public seem smarter than they are. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting, right? Because by the time they get to to that commercially, that it was the so pinnacle. successful. This is the pinnacle, right? Yeah. But right. this record, it's not as if this record was like. Uh, an underground thing or cast aside, like it was a huge record too, this, right? This is uh, probably the most selling record we're going to talk about in, in, this in our series, run. right? Yeah, I yeah. would imagine by yeah. a lot. Well, I feel like uh, just to just to be clear, this is a 1998 record, so um, oh. this is this is not necessarily this is the part beginning of, our... of a different series, exactly. But it was like if we don't do it in this year, I'm not waiting another five years to talk about it. So we make the rules Roll here. up our wheelchairs. That's right. And, uh, That's right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So <laughs> we equi- the editors, dude. <laughs> we the editors, dog. Uh, Equimini turns 25 this year. Um, we obviously love Outcast. We actually did a whole track-by-track track breakdown of Southern Playlistic. I, I think uh, someone 
DM someone who knew you in real life DM'd you and said, "Please don't ever do that again." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> For real? Yeah, yeah no, we, you, yeah, you, don't, you do. don't need to go track by track. It was Wait, it was the message. It, it was like almost ninety minutes. Like yeah. it's a it's a super long episode. It's, lo- it's longer than the songs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like it's longer than the album. It's longer than their career. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> we did a real time uh, thing of of Southern Playlistic, but no, we um. We oh. we did that uh, a while back for it must have been a twenty five back or something. in the day. Yeah, it was like in our season one. Wow. Um. So Outcast does Southern Playlistic, uh, which I consider to be them as high school prodigies because they were literally like in oh. high school. I love that record though, and I loved it when it came out. And it was Love very it. weird for me in my station in life to even know what that record was. It just yeah. happened to catch like find me, and yeah. I loved it. Uh, yeah. uh, incredible record. I am. Um, I actually interviewed. Big boy, during like one of that record's like anniversaries, and he was like, "We dropped that record, and then went back to uh, sing senior year lunch." Oh my god, that's crazy! <laughs> Sir, talk about like prodigious talents. Yeah, yeah. As as young men, even their their whole kind of like scene, the the Dungeon Family. If you guys watch the the Organized Noise documentary, you kind of get a flavor for. The little basement that that all happened in. I, I don't want to get off on a whole thing, but I did listen to that Dungeon Family record, and I want to talk about it at some point. Absolutely, yeah, we need to. I had uh, never listened to it before. The whole thing, I remember. Even the, in darkness, is an amazing yeah. is an amazing record. And when we do our 1999 retro series, no, um, <laughs> <laughs> we all circle back on it. But but Southern Playlistic to me is like them as high school prodigies. At Aliens is them going to college. I mean. Metaphorically. You get your mind blown and you get weird. Yeah. You yeah. get weird. Andre yeah. gets a turban. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? They're taking the one-on-one classes and they're like, structural racism. What? <laughs> um, hey, Mom, have you heard about this? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like when my daughter calls me now and she's like, you know what? Have you ever heard of dialectical something? I was like, no, sweetie, but we're getting our money's worth. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, yeah. Go ahead. So they, they get their minds blown. Hegel. Was it yeah. Hegel? He- Hegelian. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, dialectical materialism. Uh and then I look at Equimini as them going to get their masters. Like, they really the knew what they it. were doing. Yeah. They were, you know, they were still in development, but I feel like they really... Um, they were beefing with historical personage Rosa Parks. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> when you get sued by Rosa Parks, you know that... You're somebody. You're right, you're right there on the edge. Uh, one of the things I thought was interesting about this in, in doing the light research is that they produced a lot of it. That's I yeah. was noticing that as well. Um, most things I thought it was all kind of like tribe, er- Uma style, like Uma style, yeah. like group credit back then. But that's not how this reads. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, and like uh, we're gonna get into it, but um, you know, um, Andre produced Spotty Audi, dude. Yeah, kind of crazy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So they they had they had. So another way of saying that is like he wrote one of the best songs ever made. Totally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> one of the best horn lines ever. Totally. Right. As yeah. as a non necessarily musician, but it. I guess they they had the budget, right? Because with AT Aliens, they had earned the time, and they were like, we were in the studio just all day. They could just hang out. They had a collective of musicians that they were working with. They were working out ideas. Um, And so Equimini comes. It's it's full. It's lush. It has ideas. The musicality is on another level. And just to kind of set context, um, 1998, the biggest record of that year with the biggest two records were um, DMX. Um, wow. It's dark and hell is hot. That's and flesh, that year. In flesh of my flesh. Yeah. I was still working in the record store, and you couldn't keep DMX in the fucking section. Like yeah. it was just flying out. But just to kind of give you a sense of like that was what was popular. Jay Z's uh, in my lifetime volume two was like really popular at that time. Ninety was ridiculous. Yeah. yeah Moment it, of truth. 
Moment of Truth. Um, Black Star, maybe? Uh, that or was, was that 99? 99? That was 99. Okay, okay. Uh, but it, it was an interesting kind of dichotomy. Nobody had ever, even though they did AT Aliens, which is a, an amazing record, well put together. It's kind of like a low-key contrarian pick if you want to be like, my favorite Outcast record is AT Aliens. I'm like, <laughs> that's it's fine. It's, it's, a, it's a dope record. To me, this is a fuller, more mature, more complete musical state. Like, Interesting. They're making to me bigger music by right. this point. But that's not like that doesn't make it better. But like, it doesn't make it better. But it's, I, it's inarguable what you're saying. Though. Right. Right. And, yeah. And yeah. I think like it's like overt growth. Yeah. Well, that's what I mean. But it's most like, people fuck this up as a band, like the absolutely. big experiment, not experimental, but like that's what it later. Yeah. Um. But the like now we have money record almost always sucks. Right, yeah, it right, does. Right. It's like the super big budget movie, right? Yeah. Like the more money you get, you kind of fuck it up. But they they somehow maintain their authenticity. They stretch the genre. Like the, 90, yeah. the shit that was out in 98 conceptually is nowhere near what Equipment I was talking about. And also, even the South wasn't really a thing. Still. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? In terms of being like, right now, Atlanta is like the center of the hip-hop universe. But mm-hmm. at that time, there were... It wasn't like well, they did, were. Didn't this drop after Andre did the big pocket at yeah, the Source it's, Awards? It's sampled yeah, yeah. on here, right? Yes, yeah. yeah. So his his nine his rant at the ninety five Source Awards is sampled on Chunky Fire, uh, which is amazing. It's like so, so statement prophetic. of purpose. It's so good. It's yeah, like so it's, good. Like, it's such a great moment. It's like someone really like living up to like you deserve to be there. You just proved it again. Yeah, the music is already dope, and now you like you've know how to handle this really complicated room and like. You're you're totally. the one they're looking at. You know what I mean? Totally. It's just in, so in, great. Totally. In totally. in New York, it there's not a more and I love New York. Like it's it's a part of the fabric of who I am. But it's the most chauvinistic um, city in terms of how they hold. Like we are hip hop. Mm-hmm. What we think is hip hop is hip hop. And literally, Andre is like, no, not anymore. Yeah, not anymore. Like he kind of came in with the uh, with the Yosemite Sam two guns blazing, <laughs> and told a whole room full of duns that like no three thousand guns blazing. Hey, <laughs> salute! Uh, so let's get into it. Equimini, um, which is a Nate, say it for me. Portmanteau. 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 Wherever yeah. you put your toes, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever port you put them in. They're playing with their zodiac signs, the Aquarius and the Gemini. Um, okay, before we go on, we're going to talk a lot about music and stuff. Do you take people who are really into astrology seriously? Um, I don't. Uh, Demand for political reasons is going to demur. No, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, okay, okay, okay. Um, having said that, I mean uh, the Dave? moon. The moon does uh, where the moon is at affects everything in in this world. So, like, who are we to say it doesn't affect humans? But having right. said that, I don't want to read your tarot cards. <laughs> uh, my 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 official position is like I don't believe in all that shit, but it's true. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's a pretty good cop out dude. yeah yeah that's i don't i don't i don't subscribe to all that shit but yeah. like also it's 100 percent true yeah um <laughs> also my girlfriend's a millennial so i no comment um <laughs> so they they uh they brought together their their signs and it's nate i'll ask you this and we'll, we'll get into our kind of our, our formula but um do you look at this album as like the um Five dollar word coming up. The first bifurcation, where uh, they're they're kind of like, here's my part, here's your part. 
Um, I think that's revisionist history. Okay. But maybe. I mean, the title <laughs> kind of lends it. It's like it's the player, the poet. Yeah. Um, kind of starts on AT Aliens. I so. think they know they're different, and they're getting more different. When you're a senior in high school with someone, you have a lot in common. Yeah. When totally. you're a young, rich rapper who can be whoever they want, maybe not as much. When you're getting that Erica Badu loving, uh, <laughs> changes. Changes a man. Uh, such a welcome <laughs> presence on this album, and also not officially credited on the songs, but then oh, credited wow. in like another part of the back cover. It's oh, interesting. Just, it's oh. very weird. Um, if you look on Discogs, it says uncredited in brackets, but it's like like it couldn't be anyone else. <laughs> so it's like, is it like this lady needs no introduction? Like, I yeah, don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know who I don't this know is. what the deal is, but wow. yeah, yeah, it's kind of okay. funny. But yeah, great every time she shows up on here or anywhere really. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so so let let's get into it. Um, on an album chock full of jams, Nate LeBlanc, what is your jam from this album? You know, it has to be Nathaniel. <laughs> I had a whole I, I have a whole thing about that. I've been like uh waiting 2 weeks to say that. <laughs> um I actually do think for a homie calling from jail song that's a very good one. I okay. think he, I think he has a couple little moments on there. It's actually kind of cool. Uh but uh spotty. I mean. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Like uh, this just that that is one of the great songs. I love it so much. Uh still getting chills like hundreds of listens later. Yeah. It's a fucking movie. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. an excellent movie, you know? Mm-hmm. It's yeah. just it's just such a good song. There's so much to it. It feels short for a 7-minute song. Right. Um there they just everyone comes off just so there's just dripping with atmosphere and perfectly written and that horn chart is an all-timer, dude. Yeah. Ridiculous. Hearing like the hypnotic brass band or like Rebirth brass band or exactly. some kind of thing like that like work uh, it in exactly. at times or like New Orleans bands. Mm-hmm. It's it's just mm-hmm. it's so iconic. I'm like it's just, I don't know, dude. and it's, it's been just, it's, it's been reworked a bunch of times. Like it's still in the zeitgeist even today, yeah. right? Um, that yeah, that's that's a no brainer pick. But it's interesting in that not really a rap song. No, yeah. no, totally. Right. I yeah. mean, if anything, like the closest thing to their instrumental song, right? Yeah, to it's, me, it's kind of a soul song. It's kind of a spoken word song, right? right. It, it it gives me the vibes of the best of Gil Scott Heron. Right. Okay. You know what I mean? Where they're they're painting a picture. They're painting a picture. It's a talking spoken word poem. It's it's not necessarily rap, but it is so visual. No. That's that's a that's a, a great thing um uh, to pick. Dave, was that you as well? Um yes. Um by far. I mean yeah. uh, I still I still love it to this day. Um my sort of second pick would be um artist storytelling part two. Okay. Because it's so hype. Part two so in energetic. particular, that's interesting. Yeah. Versus the first one. Uh, part two is the one with, like, sort of filtered vocals. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I always it's, think of that as, like, the Beastie Boys thing. Kind it's, of. It's, yeah. it's the it end of the hard. world. Like, it's, yeah, yeah it's this really it interesting so uh, that they did it as a two-parter, right? Yeah. Where it started. And have continued it. Yeah, and, yeah. and, yeah, kept going, right? Yeah. Um, no, very, very good very good picks. I mean, you can't go wrong with can't Outcast. Wrong. Uh, what are yours? My jam, my jam jam, skew it on the Barbie. That's a great song, <laughs> I just remember listening, a lot of my, my outcast listening experience is like, where is Andre going? Right. Right? So on AT Aliens, you got a little bit on elevators. You were like, oh, he's doing something different. Yeah. You know what I mean? His yeah. whole shit is like, oh, he's doing something different. Mm-hmm. And so on Skew It on the Barbie, um, he is literally fucking floating. The common denominator, the nigga numerator, never know who to hate a nigga cater to your ego. Like, 
He's floating. One, I'm impressed you can do that. (laughs) Two, uh, yeah, you're totally right. That part is insane, dude. He's just, he's he's taking his prodigious talent and becoming even greater. And then to have the foresight after the the Source Awards thing to be like, we're going to reach back and get Raekwon because we fuck with New York like that. Like, we fuck with New York. Like, you guys hate on us, but we fuck with New York. And Wu-Tang has always been, um, they haven't, you know, they, they, they haven't been as chauvinistic as some other New York-based rap groups. So even that and saying, like, I'm going to get on a track with Raekwon and I'm going to – I'm bar for bar with a member of Wu-Tang. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Lil Wayne has often said I'm the only person from the South that could have been in Wu-Tang, but Andre could have been in Wu-Tang. Oh. Like, <laughs> like, he's, so on that song, I think he's killing it. The, the Henry Mancini sample, Policewoman, is Ooh. so – fucking great it's up tempo it's got that energy so for me that's always been like a a a top outcast cut and i have a theory that big boy uh is best on anything around 100 bpm Mm. whenever he's rapping fast whenever there's like pace to it he's top notch too so that that for me has always been a a, a he's so top notch i mean he's the principal in this equation yeah yeah you know what i mean it's like you're paired up with like the best bruh but he does, he never shrinks from it, right? Like he he always comes with, with his his A material. He's incredible. So I think skewing on the Barbie is like the best of them individually, and then you have a great feature, great yeah. sample. So uh, that for me has always been one. Uh, jam for the normies, Dave. Well, it's got to be Rosa Parks. Not for Rosa Parks. <laughs> <laughs> Rosa Parks is the normie. So Rosa Parks actually uh, sued them for using her name as a as the song title. Uh, apparently she she refused a, yeah exactly <laughs> Just, don't don't sit on my name <laughs> uh she objected to the use of profanity yes um in the song and so she sued them they settled out of court and like outcast and LaFace gave some money for like youth programs in detroit uh, so it all it all landed but um that one i feel like is one of the more uh southern songs it's so overtly Southern. Are you guys pro or anti the harmonica break? <laughs> For most people, that's a strong no. For most people. Yeah, I, I'm not mad at it. The way they used it, and even like you can hear the clapping and stomping in there. Like it's some. It's, it's a some, choice. Yeah. yeah Choices totally. were made. This album is very deliberate. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, but they lean like into that. their Southerness where I feel like a lot of folks. That's even, why I can't hate on it. Yeah, it's like it's there. I, it's not. A, I was like, oh wow, okay. Uh, yeah. But it's it's there for a reason, and it's uh, obviously every decision was taken very seriously. And if that's part of the song, then that's part of the song. Mm. Yeah, and they and that that was their lead single. Like they really, yeah. they no, really. The song is huge. Like everyone knows this song, totally. right? Yeah. And it's kind of. Uh, I think little things like that make it like more approachable. It does, and also I think that's how they conquered radio with a sound that was again. This is in the same year that like DMX is growling and barking at you, yeah. right? Um, they're doing a clap and stomp uh, harmonica jam. Hugely energetic video. Yeah. Like fun video, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, they, just... and even their imagery on this album takes a step up, right? Yeah. yeah. Like they learn more how to uh, be, be the, visually the outcast that we, we know and love. Um, Nate, that, that would be it for you too, Rosa Parks? Yeah, I don't think there's a, really any other huge choice. I would go with the Spody Dopalicious Odie only because. Of the way that I've seen it live on, I feel like I turn to my kids and go, "That's just outcast." <laughs> like they're going for the feeling of 
that song has become it's so ingrained in the pop zeitgeist. Beyonce has used it. Like, a bunch mm-hmm. of other people have yeah. tried to have something that approaches that feeling. So I feel like that one, I've, I've played it, too. I, like, playlisted it for yeah. people who might not otherwise care. Right. It, it always It always, it always hits. Yeah. So, uh, so I'm, looking, I'm looking this up right now. Um, 1998, Black Star. Okay. For sure. Okay. okay. Uh, Moment of Truth. Third Eye Vision. The coup, still this album. Um, <laughs> DMX for sure. Um, Miseducation. Oh. Okay. Okay. Um, crazy year. Um, it was yeah. a crazy year. People on the stairs, nineteen ninety eight. Oh yeah. I think those are the big ones, but that's kind of crazy. That's we have plenty to cover if we want to talk about those records for sure. Uh, I feel like nineteen ninety eight is a is a year where hip hop starts to splinter more into different types of sounds, right? right? Like, of course, no, of course. Nothing is, like, predominating. Um, and in that environment, I think it does contribute to Outkast's sense of, like, we could kind of do anything. Yeah. Because literally totally. everything we do sells a shit ton of records. <laughs> That's a part of Outkast that People can't seem be, to be liking it. That you can't underestimate it. Like, when, when you're selling that many records, you earn so much creative freedom. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, they used it um, excellent. And they just sound good. Yeah, I mean, they, do. they just fucking sound good. There's something to be said about just the aesthetics of um, easy listening. Like, they just sound great. Yeah. Uh, let's go into uh, best three song run on this here album. Nate, what say you? Uh, I Again, I think this, this has a lot of value for the picks. It's Rosa Parks into Skew It on the Barbie into Equemini. Like you, you gotta get every side of the record. You yeah. like, you know, yeah. maybe there's maybe if there was some more George Clintony influence, which mm-hmm. I do want to talk about in a minute. Yeah. Um. There's there, you know. But other than I think that's that really gives you a nice like thick slice out of the middle Over, yeah. overview of of what's happening, Dave. Um, dude, I uh, I feel like feels like I gotta say artist storytelling, Mamacita, and Spadiati. But however, Mamacita is sort of uh, we'll, we'll not to, my we'll favorite. We'll get to Mamacita. I mean, our, it, it gets it's yeah. a lucky one that gets bookended by my two by, favorites. By your two favorite songs. Yeah. No, that's yeah. that's how big the big songs are right. on this record for sure. It, was that yours too? Uh, I had uh, uh, skew it on the Barbie, a Komenai synthesizer. Oh, Oof. interesting. Synthesizer, synthesizer's dope. Is one of dope. one of my and that gives you the George Clinton. Yeah, you're getting your. Conceived under the influence of toxic wasted doctors. Like, how does he have the hardest verse on the whole song? Like, that's so cool. Insane. Yeah. Um, but that's the first time that we get um, Andre 3000 singing. Yeah. Like, mm. unabashed singing. Yeah. Which apparently, as I was reading today, Big Boy was like, ah, you're going to alienate the fans. Wow. Oh. A- and uh, AT alienate the fans? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? Terrible. Like, terrible. Hey, terrible. It's good. <laughs> oh, that's good. AT alienate. I like that a lot. That's actually, can resist. <laughs> Please don't. Don't ever. Um, and I remember. I'm not trying to say that I'm clairvoyant, but I remember at the time going, "He's going that way." Right. Like he. This is a thing. Right. Like he's gonna go in this direction. He's pitch shifting his voice in 1998, oh. which is like, you know, he's using pitch correction and shifting shit and doing things that were like pure novelty at the time. Um, but it, it really works. So that for me has always been a, a huge run. Also what, what he's talking about in synthesizer. Right. Um, in some ways prophetic. Without being this was also an era of like unabashed conspiracy 
rap. There was like, so much conspiracy. Yeah, rap. like cell we, therapy. We were, we were getting actually to the height of it because it was about to be Y two K. And like, yeah, I don't know yeah. if when they're recording this, that was in the zeitgeist yet, but the things got very pale white horse. Like real right totally. this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it's interesting though because that, I feel like the outcast evolution actually starts at the end of Southern Playlisting hmm. when they have songs like Deep. Uh, where they're talking, it's a little hotepy, but they're they're talking about uh, they're also like seventeen. Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, um, and they kind of kind of get on that tip. They pick it up a little bit um, on Atlians, and then and synthesizer. I think they learn how to have a point of view, and the musicality just comes together. Mm. It's a song. It's a full song. Yeah, and then when you get George Clinton involved, um, come on, it, it's hard to miss. Right, that's when you're using budget correctly. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. All right, let's let's talk about it. Skippers, skippers. Dave, let's start with you. Uh, I got two skip. Yep. Um, I love I love um, uh, Nathaniel LeBlanc in my life, but also on this record, <laughs> on this record, Nathaniel not so much. <laughs> Nate rapping from jail. No. <laughs> um, I have a second one though. Okay. Uh, um, uh, liberation, a little bit too liberated. Oh wow. I mean, it's fucking like nine minutes. <laughs> You know what I mean? I'm and, in, your, and I'm I, in your house, I bro. Love part, so I'm not gonna... I love parts of it, but uh, like today yeah. doing the research, I was like, yeah. A little tedious? A little bit. Okay. A little bit. That's okay. funny. Okay. That's it, though. Other than that, like this album is like an enjoyable thing to fucking listen to, bro. Nate? Uh, Mamacita. Yeah. Mamacita. I know. Kappa dog. That was a hard one. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, 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 don't, I don't like that song. Yeah, uh, because it is, it's not it, good. It, it is not a good song, and it, yeah. I, it's an easy skip. And then you basically have not perfect, but a very amazing, truly wonderful, mm. top of the line mm. record. I, I think that Mamacita comes from, and you notice that uh, Andre isn't on it. So there's sometimes outcasts. I'm not saying they have duds, but some of their more skippable songs, Andre sits it out. Interesting. Yeah, the song they do with Jay Z on, um, uh, it's escaping me now. I think it's on the next record. On Stankonia. On Stankonia. Yeah. Um, Andre sits that out too. Interesting. Like he's like, eh, it's just this gets kind of. Um, ah, uh, yeah. For me, I would say uh, Mamacita and also the song Slump. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I can see that. Right. Yeah. It's just okay. Yeah. Bit of a slump. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> but, you know, but even then, like these are like very like small quibbles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, if you really were to you, twist my arm, I would also say West Savannah. Um, which actually I didn't oh, I understand like was one. a was a song from Southern Playlistic Sessions. Oh, interesting. Yeah, oh, wow. that they they reworked they reworked into this album. That makes sense. But, but even at that, I'm splitting hairs. Except I, for I like, Mamacita, I, that's I like a bad songs song. that go like that have like William Devon interpolations in them. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I'm never gonna be mad about like being thankful for what I've got or whatever. Yeah. It's true. It's just, you know, you it's should, just, I don't think it, I don't have a problem with that in any way. It's yeah. I think it's actually a pretty good song. Do you guys know the song Neighbors or the movie Neighbors? It's like a Seth Rogen movie. He like lives next to a frat house. Oh yes, you guys know yes. this movie. I don't. It's, I it's haven't a movie seen it. that exists. They yeah. did make a sequel. Um, there's a part where they they use the hootie who part. Mm. Um, <laughs> I, like because the all the frat they're having a party and it gets broken up by the cops. The cop is Hannibal Burris. Sick. Um, and like they all start going hootie who and somebody doesn't know why. So the comedian Ike Barinholtz kind of like starts doing the verse and Seth Rogen like joins in with them. It's a, it's a funny part oh, nice. of the movie. Yeah. It's like, it's like, anyway, that's what I think of when I think of that now. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, also outcast famously big boy, especially was kind of pissed when, um, master P just kind of stole hootie who <laughs> and like oh. and started running with it. Yeah. 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 I remember being, being pretty salty about that. 
Um, but skips is just a relative term on this album. You're, you know, that's it's a rhetorical exercise. It's actually a pretty solid album, not pretty solid, great album, top to bottom. Um, for some reason, I have the four record collection of the instrumental. Oh, cool! Oh, wow! I have no idea where wow. it came from. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, no, no yeah, idea how I got verses it. Verses to every song. I, yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I just rap along with it. Well, then they're like. Mama <laughs> uh, but yeah, I feel like in the Outcast catalog, and I, we don't typically play this game, but let's do it because we're here. In the Outcast catalog, Nate, where do you put Equimina? Uh, I don't know. I didn't prep for that. I would have exactly. to. I'm just making it up off exactly. the top of my head. It's called podcasting. I know. I know. <laughs> um, it, it's probably their best record. You think so? Yeah, it probably yeah. is. Yeah. I, mean, I just listened to it a ton, though. Like, I know, it's like I know. a lot of recency, recency bias. bias. Yeah. For uh, sure. They have a lot of good records, but yeah, this could definitely be their their best record. I don't know. I was going to say the same thing. Yeah. I mean, this is their third record. Yeah. yeah. You know, and yeah. It, like, it portrays like so much growth and just listenability. Yeah. Get out of here. Yeah. Yeah. Andre says a bunch of wise stuff. Big Boy says a bunch of like, awesome, like, turns of phrase and totally. just like crazy flows. And they're just, they're just, at a, they're operating at such a high level. Sure. I, I think and it's, then everything after this, I feel like this is a little bit more like watershed than, than the other ones. It's interesting. We we just uh, we just did an episode on Balloon Mind State, and I was saying that also um, the third record. Yeah, also the third record, and also kind of the last of a certain era of De La Soul. And I think the same way about Outcast. After after this record, Thankonia is definitely more experimental, and you can see their styles are starting to diverge more and more. And then they that- were also like celebrities, especially Andre. Yeah, like, yeah. By that time, they were celebrities. Like they're just the way the covers are. For, like you know, like yeah. it's like they're the the comic book shit is over. This is us, and we're going crazy. And we're well, our, interestingly our enough, full flower of our personalities. Aquim and I, they wanted to do a movie. Mm. Um, and they step to MTV, and MTV's like, we like it, but we want to cast Buster Rhymes and Missy Elliott. <laughs> because what? they had more, cause they had more star power at the time. And that's fascinating. In retrospect, that's insane to think about, but I, I do think it's that we, we almost take for granted now how ubiquitous they are and how big and awesome Absolutely. of a group, and you're like, who is bigger than Outkast? But I think at the time... Buster Rhymes and Missy Elliott. This, Missy Elliott <laughs> at the time, right? In 98... Um, their greatness, I don't think, was fully understood or even confirmed yet. Interesting. And I think that makes for the last time they had this, there's a certain edge to it. After this, they're dudes with a lot of money doing exper- experimental cool records. Like, the next two records are, are great. Even the Idlewild soundtrack has moments. I've never listened to it. You should. It's better than a movie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> for sure. That's uh, funny. Hollywood Divorce is a great song. Um, I've heard that. So yeah, I feel like this record is is in a way their balloon mind state. Okay, it's, it's them okay. not going pop but blowing up. Yeah, 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 yeah. Great call. Um, and so I, in that way, I I do feel like it is the most complete um outcast record. I have a very very soft spot for Stankonia. Yeah. Like I really really do. But I think this record top to bottom is is probably the their their best. I think you're right. Yeah. Uh, if you feel the same way, if you feel differently, hit us up on Twitter at DadBodRapPod. We are on Instagram at DadBodRapPod. We are on the threads thing. Ain't nobody there. 
Is it true? It's it, just like it's ghost dead town. As fuck. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's dead. Um, if, if you put out uh, what record is better, Illmatic versus uh, it was written, you'd just get like three responses. <laughs> should, but wait, but hold up though. Should I should I just reinvent all of the Twitter beefs and take them over to Threads? If you want to get us some followers, dude, Nate, you have a fun little game. Use That's social hilarious. media strategies. <laughs> yeah. I'm all. Is this dress blue or brown? <laughs> Hilarious. Here's something you've never seen. Um, but we are on there at Dadbod Rap Pod. You should also join our Patreon, patreon.com slash dadbod rap pod. Uh, Nate, I don't know if you know this, but Patreon now allows you to sell images. I thought you were gonna say underwear. <laughs> I don't I don't know why you would think that, but okay, okay. Yeah. You, you need guys, to join me and Blockhead for that conversation. You guys have a secret thread without me. But anyways. <laughs> yeah, exactly. anyways uh, That's what we're talking about. Right Red Bear. Um, I think, yeah, I saw a thing where you can sell images and or audio files on Patreon. Interesting. So that begs the question. Like NFTs or something? Is that what they're going for? Well, or did they, they, they just yeah. caught, get caught up to that part in history? A little bit. <laughs> Nate Fungible Tokens. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh so I'm, I'm <laughs> interesting. Let's yeah. uh, talk more about that. Yeah, yeah. We gotta we yeah. gotta think about uh, what yeah. what dad bought collectible digital uh, merchandise we're we're thinking of. Maybe it's just like Dave's head with different hats. <laughs> like, uh, like you can style him day all, by all day. All our abandoned T-shirt ideas <laughs> in one image. Uh, but we do a bunch of shit on there. Uh, post my playlist. Dim's gems on there. Nate does his radio show. Fly sporadic. Coming back. Coming back with Fly Sporadic, we have uh, we have side conversations about the episodes and about other topics that are meaningful. We like, for instance, this is where we will probably talk about that Dungeon Family record. That would make uh, a ton 100%. of a ton of sense as a uh, Patreon 100%. thing. Like, yeah. uh, it's just it's a very interesting record. Uh, diehards of the diehards, join us on Patreon. It's five dollars a month or fifty one dollars a year. We really appreciate the patronage and it it helps keep the program rolling along. Uh, but this has been our breakdown of Equimini. It's them and I. <laughs> Dad by Rap Pod.
Damn Bob Rap Pod, we talk to people who are moved to shape hip hop culture all the damn time. This time is no different. We have rapper, mezcal enthusiast, would be baby maker. That's right. Tony <laughs> in the building. What's going on, man? What's up, y'all? It's it's an honor to be here, man. Dad by Rap Pod, y'all my favorite podcast. You know that. Hey, hey, glad glad to have you on, man. Uh, as you probably already know, we've been doing this retrospective series, taking a look back at albums that came out um, 30, 25 years ago. This week, we are talking about Equimini, um, Outkast's third album, dropped in 1998. What before I asked about the album, where were you at in your life in 1998? Like, what was your what was your situation at that time? In 98, I was in fifth grade <laughs> and um, I was most concerned about farting in uh, class. It was very embarrassing to do so. Um, 98, what, what else was, was going on? I think that's when Beastie Boys Hello Nasty came out. I bought that CD for like $25 and Sam Goody. Uh, and I was probably worried about video games. <laughs> most most likely Sega, probably really excited for Dreamcast to drop the next year. You know, I was yeah. big, big, big Sega guy growing up. I was obsessed. That's hilarious. He said fifth grade. Uh, this retrospective series has made us feel old as shit. Um, but Nigga, I am old. I'm fucking 35. What you mean? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> we're shaking. We're shaking our heads here. Um, so, so when did you? Am Am I right to assume that maybe Aquemini didn't find you as a as a fifth grader? Did you have to kind of circle no, back to it? I didn't know about it. I feel like the first time I heard Outcast was Bombs Over Baghdad, and that came out when I was in middle school, yeah. and it blew me away. It was one of the first MP3s I ever downloaded. Like everything about the song and the video blew me away. As you may or may not know, even though I'm from Houston, which is the home of screwed and chop music, which I adore, I really love fast music. I mm. love punk rock, I love hardcore, I love techno, I love house music, all kinds of club music. Currently, I'm obsessed with like Jersey Club and hyper pop and all that type of shit that I've been loving for most of the last five, seven years or something, right? Right. And when I heard B.O.B., that was my first time hearing a really fast rap song ever mm. in my life. And naturally, I'm drawn to uptempo music. So that song just instantly made them my favorite group. How I really got engaged with Quimini, with, with, with Aquimini came a little bit later, though. Like, I really got into this album in high school because I was on my speech and debate team, right? And I was really fucking good at it. Lincoln Douglas and all that shit, right? Um, and on a speech and debate tournament trip, a friend of mine named Lionel, he had this CD. And I had never heard it, but he knew I liked Outkast. And he was like, you should check out this song, The Art of Storytelling Part One. Mm -hmm. And I remember walking around with my CD player at this speech and debate tournament, which is at a different school than mine. And I was just listening to that song over and over and over, just like walking around the halls, waiting for the next time I had to do something. And I just remember that everything about the song from Big Boy's verse to Andre's verse to like the instrumental, it just felt so heavy and so emotional. 
and I kept listening to Andre's verse and it made me cry. Like it made me just like walk around this school crying, thinking about, you know, just like kind of imagining how I would feel if I was in his shoes. It's like childhood friend of mine that I grew up with that I always cared for. By the time I get to reconnect with her, she's in a bad place in life. And that hurts me. And then the next time I try to get in touch with her, I found out that she's passed away. And I had never heard death in a song framed in like the sense of like childhood before, you know what I mean? Which has really made it hit harder than a lot of other songs I had heard up until that point about death, which is more like, you know, you like die because you like you you're in the fucking streets or like you like die by some like circumstance that is more like you like died as a soldier, right? Mm-hmm. You like like, mm-hmm. like died fighting for something, representing for something, or like, you know, defending something. So we kind of honor the fact that you're gone. This is a kind of death in this song that is that just feels like it's only sadness. It's only about the loss of what this person's life could have been. You know, it's it's like totally pessimistic and hopeless. Mm. And it just oh. really, really hit me. And and listening to that song is what prompted me to go get the album. Wow, wow. Thanks for sharing that, man. Appreciate that. Um, you know, you touched on Andre, of course, and, you know, Andre obviously is, you know, he, he gets his fair share of attention. But, you know, I was listening to this album again, and I was like, fuck, dude, you know, Big Boy is, he, he's, he's, he's still a rifleman. Um, talk a little bit about Big Boy and, like, how he strikes you, because I feel like Andre gets all the attention. Big Boy definitely has influenced me more as a rapper than Andre 3000. Definitely. I always liked them both. I always thought that it it was unfair that Big Boy is sometimes seen as like the lesser of two by a certain class of people. And I would liken that the same way to how some people think that Pimp C is a worse artist than Bun B or like a, a lesser rapper than Bun B. Whereas in my mind, they both do two different things that are valuable. Like even on the art of storytelling, I love the big boy uh, verse because it's so much about him, like kind of like flexing, like, yo, I I got girls, you know, I'm like an ill rapper. I like love the little Will shout out who later became an artist I loved because of his looking for Nicki song. I had never heard of him until that verse. And I always point back to that. But I love Big Boy for one main reason. I love fast music and Big Boy raps quickly. And I always admired artists who could do like the kind of tongue twisting, fast flow stuff in a in, in a way that's like doesn't feel like it's a novelty. Like it didn't feel like Twista or something who is also great. But I feel like Twista does it as his calling card where I feel like when Big Boy raps fast, cause he does rap slow a lot too. When like he raps fast, it's, it's, it's him showing you how dope of a rapper he is. Yeah, right. 100%. 100%. I think with Equimini, this is, we talked about this when we were talking about the album. It's, they start to diverge. Like their roads, you know, it starts kind of on its AT aliens and then grows on on Equimini. Um, when you were listening to it back then, when, when you found it in high school, did you have this sense that like it was going to completely 
change rap, like the perspective that you had on rap? Did you did it seem like a, a genre changing album to you? Well, I think for me, since I heard Stankonia first, mm-hmm. that had its own effect on me first. So I heard this album before Speaker Box and Love Below came out. But while Stankonia and their greatest hits album that had the whole wide world on it, those right. are like the two latest outcast records when I got into them the first time, right? Right. So for me, the Stankonia album was already so crazy. Also me being so into rock music, turning on the Stankonia album and then the Gasoline Dream songs plays and it's super distorted electric guitar. And like Andre 3000 sings, all of my heroes did dope. Like all that shit, the first time I heard it, I was like, wow, I've, I've never heard music that sounds like this. I've also never heard a rapper say some of the things that they're saying on this album. So when I got to like a criminal, at at first I looked at it like, oh, this is the more down tempo, more mm. neo soul version of what these guys were doing on Stankonia. Whereas, but I feel like the Stankonia album was a little more experimental, and I've and I've seen some interviews from that time where they talk about how they were really into like into like club music and and trip hop and drum and bass and trying to put some of that shit into their music. So when I went back to like a criminal, I kind of felt like, all right, this is them being weird, but it still has more of a normal quote unquote Southern rap flair to Mm -hmm. as the beats and like the features and all that stuff. But what I loved about a criminal is I felt like the album was them pushing back on their narrative. Like, like I became an outcast stand, right? So I learned about where they started and how pe- people judged them for being different and how Andre became sober and all this stuff, right? And, and how Big Boy had his first kid and how all those moments that happened on the AT Aliens album really shaped how they started moving forward. I was also aware that on this Acrimini album is the first one where they handled a lot of the beats themselves rather than only getting beats from like organized noise, like other producers, which I think you can really hear in these tracks. I always looked at Acrimini as the album where this group found themselves, Mm. Like, like, like found not just their sound, but their viewpoints on life because from that point on, they they are always pushing back on what the public thinks of them. Like even on the big boy song from Speaker Box, the way you move, it starts off with him pushing back on people thinking that him and Dre split up yeah. or that him and Dre are breaking up or that they don't fuck with each other. And they're doing that a lot on this album. Actually, one of my favorite songs on this album is fucking Return of the G. Yeah. That's my that's one of my favorites because I love I was also straight edge when like I was a kid, like I was into straight edge hardcore music. And I really appreciated how Andre 3000 talked about how him not smoking weed or or drinking or doing drugs or whatever kind of helped him think more like clearly because I personally got pushed back from my friend groups for not being into like weed and drinking like. Yes, I like weed and drinking now as an adult, but I am kind of thankful that as a kid, that wasn't really my thing. You know what I mean? Mm. And 
And, and that's definitely something that I never heard any other rappers talking about. And I definitely wrote some of my earliest raps about that, about how like, I'm like still that nigga and I'm like flexing on y'all, but I'm, but I'm not high. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Right. That's dope. Right on, man. Thank you. Um, so, uh, you know, um, through, through this retrospective series, we've been asking everybody, you know, with all the albums that we um, uh, look at, um, do you think Equimini is of its time or timeless and why? That's a great question. I would say that it's timeless because it's one of the few albums that no matter how many times I've heard it in my life, I can sit and listen to the entire album. And it's a really long album. It's an hour yeah. and 15 minutes. But the way the album flows and it has so many fan favorites on it that as I listen to it, I'm always reminded of something like just like looking at, at the track list. Now, I would say that my favorite songs on this whole album that stick with me is first off the intro. The intro is beautiful. Yeah. Hold on, be strong. Beautiful, beautiful intro. I love Return of the G. I used to really like Rosa Parks, but I felt like that song got really played out when, when I was young. Right. Like They would play the music video a lot. So I often skip over that one. Skew It on the Barbie Woo! is probably my all-time favorite song from this album. And actually, every time that I'm working on a new album for my music, I have a little playlist of songs that I listen to to really inspire myself. And this is one of them. Like... Almost every day that I'm recording a new album ever, I listen to Skew It on the Barbie. And I love it because oh. all three of their verses are crazy. The beat's crazy. Like it makes me feel how I imagined it must have felt to see like Grandmaster Flash and the Fierce Five in like 79 or something. It's like something that just feels like raw, pure rap music. And I think the video aids with that too, because the video is, is like them at a live show. You know what I mean? So I love Skewed on the Barbie. I love Equimini. I love the synthesizer song because I'm a Ooh. big P-Funk fan. And this is also the first album where I heard a more modern artist having a George Clinton feature. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. Um, I love West Savannah. And I'm actually curious about that song because the intro on it, there's like big, big, big boys saying that this was like an old song that they mm -hmm. never put out or something. Is right. this like that true or is that? Yeah, gay? it's from it's from the Southern Playlistic Sessions. Mm. So they yeah, they decided to re-release it on Equimini. I always love that beat. Like that that was probably the song that I played the most when I was a teenager because the beat just felt so good to me. Like it's one of those beats where I was begging to find the instrumental. And I loved how it's a solo song for Big Boy, because I felt like of all the hate that Big Boy gets, this is proof that he can carry his own fucking song. You know what I mean? Right. Not that he needs to prove it, but I just always rock with that song. Um, moving on, I love the Liberation song. Mm. So the thing that I don't like about this era, and there's a similar thing happening on uh, Jazzy Bell from AT Aliens, there's like some homophobic lyrics on here from sure. um, Andre that are 
you know, specifically about women dating other women. Right. And that always makes me feel a little bit gross when I hear those lyrics. Back then I felt that way. Now I feel that way. It doesn't take away from the album for me, but I have to acknowledge that it just seems kind of like dumb. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He would probably agree with you now. Yeah. I mean, we all grow, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. And out and Outcast's whole kind of trajectory is all about growth and um change and experimentation. Um and you know, speaking of of experimentation and change, you have a new record out. Um yeah. I will make a baby in this damn economy. It's like a mission statement. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Um collaboration with 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 Tadex. Um and so I I ran this album. And I was kind of struck, and you, you mentioned this earlier in this interview, about how it does draw from, like, Jersey Club type of influences. And it does have, like, you know, a little taste of, of hyper-pop in here. Can you talk about um, your mindset going into this album and the collaboration with uh, with Tadex on, on making this sound? Definitely. So this is the second album that me and Tadex have made. And what I think really makes this album stand apart from my first album, Wake Up, that came out in 2020, is on this album, Tadex got his own studio. For the first album, we were using our publisher's studio. So that meant that we're on someone else's time. We have to book it in, a, in advance. We only have a few hours to be in there. And our publisher's old studio that we use for the Wake Up album is really small, like it's smaller than my living room. So it didn't really lend itself to having like a lot of features or like a lot of people coming through. Whereas on this album, Tadex got a new studio. It's a bomb ass studio. It's, it's big enough to fit like 10 people in the room at least. So on this album, we were able they have a lot more homies come through and play on the record. Like throughout the album, if you peep the credits, there's live instrumentation on, on almost every song. Mm. From like, like a trombone to bass to a uh, pedal steel guitar, a lap steel guitar, um, just like everything, right? And I think that really added to more textures in all these beats. We also worked with some other producers too. Like there's like a song that like Young uh, Skirt worked on too. Wes uh, Singerman worked on a song. So it really felt probably closer to what this like a criminal album is like, where it's like a bunch of folks making beats, a bunch of session players playing on it. And it's kind of like the album has its own house band. So that's the first difference. And having some unlimited time to do it made it really comfortable like this is an album and i don't normally do this but this is an album where we made a bunch of songs and didn't use all of them for the album where like previously you know i do a lot of things kind of diy so it's really on like a time crunch we have enough time to make these uh, these amount of songs we made the beats already. I know what I'm going to rap about. We're going to do it. Whereas on this album, it was more like, yo, how do you feel today? Or do you want to try this? You know what I mean? Which I think gave us a lot more freedom and made it a lot more fun and allowed us to really experiment. Like we, we cut maybe like five, six, seven songs from this record that like 
we ultimately felt like either the songs weren't our best work or they didn't fit the album, but we kept them like, hey, we can use them for like something else. Like there's one song that we got a sync in an Amazon movie called Emergency. And like the song isn't on the album, but we use it for that sync. So it's like, you know, we like want to use the music for some kind of purpose, even if it doesn't fit our vision for this project. That's the biggest difference. Dope, man. Thank you so much. Um, you know, speaking of the album, there's a collaborator on this album that you've worked with a few times before. Um, Mr. Paul Wall, I want you to. Oh, man. Let us know a little bit about your guys' working process and, you know, how you guys hit it off. Um, and just, you know, let, let us in a little bit on that. So Paul Wall is one of the artists that inspired me the most when I was a kid, not because of his top 40 songs, but before he hit the Billboard charts, him and Chameleonaire were a duo and they put out an album mm. called Get Your Mind Correct. This album came out the summer before I went to high school and I was going to summer school with all my rapper friends. I had this one friend, Mookie Jones, who is the singer Orin, Orange Juice Jones' son, my like homeboy Keith, my homeboy Dedrick, my homeboy Patrick, my friend Redmond, all my rapper friends that I grew up with from my neighborhood. We all went to summer school and we're gonna go to like the same school together in the uh, fall, right? And that album came out and just took Houston by storm. And what we loved about it is we're not talking like, like the summer of 2002, right? So for us as rappers, we were super duper like, yo, we love diplomats. We love state, state property. We love Rockefeller. Like we like Tyler Kweli and most like, like we were like, yo, we are spitters. You know right. what I mean? We are, we are super repping Houston because our, our like crew, I like called our crew simply throw. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like Houston slang. But our whole shit is like, yo, we are an MC. Like, like I had us rapping over some Pete Rock beats. Like we were like, yo, we is like the like the first song me and my friends ever really recorded. What was a Pete Rock beat that I got from this like instrumental CDs that he was putting out around that time. I, I think they were called like Pete. Uh, Instrumentals. Or something like that. Yep. And I had my other home homeboy that wanted to be a DJ scratch the Pimp C lyrics from Big Pimpin' What You Know About Them Texas Boys. Scratching over the Pete Rock beat and like like that was the chorus. Like, like that was my idea of what my rap would be like. Like we are super Houston people, but we be spitting on some boom bap shit. And the, and the Paul Wall and Cam album, they were spitting their ass off. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. it was like bars and punch lines and witty shit, like, you know, rapping like a fucking nerd. And we had never really heard that from a younger artist. And they were a, a little closer in our age. Cause even though we're like 14, they're probably, you know, 21 or in their early 20s. But to us, they look and feel like we're basically the same age. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? So that was when he first got on my radar. Also, I never knew that his name was Paul Wall till I got the CD. I always thought that it was Pow Wow. Wow, yeah. Right? So when, <laughs> when, I, when I got on Napster to try to get the album, 
I would search for it as powwow and I would find files named that. Like other fools <laughs> thought that it was powwow too. And that's why like on like Steel Tipping, Wendy says I got the internet going nuts. That's, I yeah. always think about that moment because we weren't, first of all, we didn't know that he was white. We like, like couldn't <laughs> find, find his name. You know what I mean? So I just felt like there was a lot of chatter about, yo, who are these two guys? They came out of nowhere, really. And they're from the opposite side of town that I'm from. They're from the north side and I'm from the south side. So all of that together was like, wow, there's some north side rappers that are really tight. Cause like the north side and south side at the time really did not fuck with each other. Like people were getting like fucking killed and robbed for being from different parts of town. So it's wow, it's, it's these guys on the north side. I've never heard of them. They 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 kind of spitting. And now we found out one of them's white and Cam is African like me. It's like, yo, what the going <laughs> on? This, this, this is a new era. Um, mm. So that's back then. Fast forward to years of being fans. I connect with him because I'm in the Texas chapter of the Recording Academy. Mm. And Paul Wall and Knife Wonder and Bun B are some of the longest tenured rappers in the Recording Academy. Mm. Right. And I met Paul Wall on like a Zoom call and I hit his contact and I was like, bro, I'm like a big fan. Obviously, I, I would love to chop it up with you about the Recording Academy and just music, period. Then I'm in Houston doing this show and Paul Wall's there with, with uh, Johnny Dang. So I run up on him and I'm like, bro will you do a little video with me? So, so we did a little video, shout out to Astros. It's like social media bullshit, right? Mm. After that, I got his number. And then I hit him up when I was making Baby Boy. And I asked him if he would put a verse on it because I felt like the beat really fit his style. And I felt like the subject matter fit too because on Baby Boy, it's all about looking at yourself, especially looking at your younger self and some of the errors that you've made and taking accountability for it and telling yourself that, you know, life is serious and it's okay that these bad things happened or these unfortunate things happened, but they, one, they don't have to define you. And two, to make them matter, you have to learn from them. You have to learn what not to do the next time that these situations arise because they will <laughs> you know what i mean um so i really love that paul wall gave me a verse where he was talking about you know staying on like on like theme and you know just like hearing the verse start off with like the classic paul wall baby <laughs> yeah man uh thank you so much and the the song uh that you guys did on this record is is super tight as well um I saw this. I saw the video for Make a Baby, mm -hmm. and I I wanted to. Um, obviously, it ties into the name of the album. Um, I wanted to get get something from you. Is this like, are you being for real, for real, or is is this slightly tongue in cheek? Like how mm -hmm. you know? Because it's it's funny, but at the same time, when I listen to the rap, it sounds like you're being really sincere about wanting to make some kids, which you know. Definitely. I could talk to you about that, but um... I would <laughs> yeah. love to be to be a father. Like there was definitely points in my life where I didn't care about that at all. 
Right. But I think the older I get, the more people I meet, the more life experiences I have, the more I feel like I want to have a family so I can give them things, so I can take care of another human being, so I can raise them right, so I can give them values. Like it would be a dream of mine to have a child that has like a passion for something the, the same way that I had a passion for music and I could push them towards that, like, you know, really be there for them and not get caught up in how like hard it'll be, how expensive it'll be, just like really doing something that is completely for someone else, right? Mm. So that's where that comes from. It comes from like a real place in, in like my heart, right? And on the other side, I look at that lyric, I look at that phrase as something bigger than just having a literal child. I think it's really about, mm. how, you know, despite all the hardships in life, all the problems that come our way, all the oppression that comes our way, violence that comes our way, poverty that comes our way, misfortune that comes our way. I'm truly deep down an optimistic person. And I feel like it's that attitude that allows me to live. Mm. And I think that that phrase speaks to that no matter what it is you're going after in your life, whether it's something as minor as finding a gas station with like a good price or as major as like raising a kid or like trying to stop drinking or like trying to smoke better weed or whatever your goal is, you should push for it. And if it sounds like it's impossible, who fucking cares? Because there's so many things, there's so many insurmountable obstacles that people have faced since the dawn of time, yet we can still get it done and can still push it forward. And if it doesn't happen in your lifetime, you might inspire someone in their lifetime to do it. Like, I think that there's something about giving your your all to the things that you really care about and really, really believe in and the goals you have. And that's the overall message in this album from the song Make a Baby to like the song Jasper, Texas to like the song about our homie that passed away. Like this whole album is about digging deep inside and pushing through despite whatever the fuck is in your way. Mm. Man, thank you so much for explaining that, man. Um, you know, so we're talking about that album and I, I wanna sort of circle back and talk a little bit about an older album of yours that's getting reissued. And it's a personal favorite of mine. The first time I heard your music, was uh, BK and Y, and I was like, "Who is this guy, man?" And like right. ever since then, ever since then, so um, really um, appreciate you know getting to know you through the years and everything. But for people who've never heard of the album, tell talk a little bit about Smart Ass Black Boy, especially this uh, Redux issue. Definitely. So Smart Ass Black Boy, I would say is like my first real album. I put out an album on my own right before that called Rabdar Gab. And I just put it out on Bandcamp back in 2010. But Smart Ass Black Boy was the first album I ever made as an adult. I made it out when I was 23. It was the first time I had a record deal. I put it out with Partisan Records. At the time, they had a JV label called Young One Records. And that label was me, Cities of V, Main Attractions. Um, Mr. Motherfucking Esquire was like talking to them a bit before he signed to a major label. You know, it was kind of like 
early 2010s internet rappers, alt rappers having their own home. And it was the first time that I moved out of my parents' house to I moved from Houston to Los Angeles to make that album. So that album is really like my coming out party. And it's an album where I really wanted to make shit that was timeless for me, right? And I went through a lot of ups and downs making that album. Like, like some one of the hardest times in my life happened when I made that album. It was before I even did the Partisan Records deal. It was right before I got on the ASAP Rocky tape, which like definitely helped me get that kind of attention to make this album. I was going from Houston to Brooklyn for the summer to work with the album's producer, Goldeneye, who then was known as Tom Cruise, C-R-U-Z. And both me and him fell on some hard times where I came to Brooklyn, I was going to work for my friend, and my friend totally fumbled the ball and didn't give me the money that he promised. And the money that he promised was $1,000, which for me, as a 22-year-old, 23-year-old then, was a lot of money. And I was using that money to sublet a spot at my friend's house. The money didn't happen. I couldn't live there. I had nowhere to stay. So I'm trying to stay at GoldenEye's crib. GoldenEye has a really bad falling out with his girlfriend that he's living with and needs to move out immediately. So me and him end up staying at our then manager's house in Jersey City, sleeping on his couch. And at this point, I have no money at all, like no money to eat, no money to ride the train. I'm like trying to save up a little bit of money so I can go into the city during the day and like try to go to people's studios. Like I'm still chasing the dream of making music. I like went there to make what would have been Smart Ass Black Boy that, that like summer in 2011. Um, and during that time is when I met Yams. When I did the feature, that ended up being on the Rocky album. But that whole time, we were dead broke. Like, I actually remember when I left the studio from, like, hanging out with Yams and Rocky and ASAP Nas, I went to my friend's apartment, and I was hoping she would let me in to, like, take a nap because I knew she had to wake up early for work, and, and she wasn't answering. So I just slept on her stoop until she, like, woke yeah. up and, like, went to work, and then she, like, let me in for, like, a little bit. Um, and also during that time, since we didn't have money, we were just drinking white rum all day, every day, <laughs> and just eating the leftovers of our friends that we're crashing with. Cause it's like, if, if we're drunk and we're hungry, it'll help us sleep and kind of just like get over it. But during that time on that couch, me and Goldeneye still made music. We made the hood party song on that couch which is definitely one of the songs that helped me go further in my life. That whole summer ended with my grandma getting really, really sick and my mom telling me I need to go home. Wow. I borrowed money from my parents to fly home. I like missed the last days of my grandma's life. I like actually missed it by like a couple hours or some crazy shit. And I ended up just staying back home and then after that moment, I lost my part-time job because I went on tour with my friend Blackie that uh, fall. It was my first tour. I came back home. They fired me. Me and the manager, this fucking bitch-ass nigga named Brandon, we, like, never liked each other. <laughs> then 
I ran out of money to go to college. So I had to drop out of college. My parents didn't have any more money to give me, especially with our grandma passing, who we all lived with in like her house. You know what I mean? Mm. But then that year ended with the Rocky tape coming out, me getting some press, me getting booked to play this festival, Fun, Fun, Fun Fest in uh, Austin. And at that festival, I met the guys, Nick and Graham, that signed me to Partisan Records. And then I moved to LA like the first week of January. So that whole time wow. before this, this album was made was like one of the craziest times of my life where, where I was like, yo, my like, I have this huge loss in my life. The person that like helped raise me is dead. I have no money. I don't have a job any, anymore. I can't afford to go to school. And I still didn't make my album. <laughs> so what the <laughs> fuck am I going to do in my life? Yeah. You know what I mean? But I took getting the opportunity to make this album at the top of 2012 as a huge blessing. And I put my all into it. We worked so hard on making this record. And luckily, we documented a lot of it. Like, I have a hard drive of all this footage of us in our studio, going to our house, going to parties, going to shows. It's got like all my artist friends in it. It's It's got subtitle in it, got Despot in it, Kitty Pride is in it, Tearist is in it, Kool-Aid D is in it, just all the homies. And as we started getting closer, it's like the 10 year mark, I talked to GoldenEye and I was like, man, we should really look at this album again and like give it some love because despite how famous or not famous the album is it changed my life and it was the record that allows me to still be in music right now mm. so so we sat down with all our stems all this footage and we retooled the whole album golden eye remixed the whole album from the ground up every single stem we remastered the album we did some extra production on the album too. Like every track has some extra added parts to it. We um, uh, cleared all the samples. Hey. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yo, when like when like Partisan came back to me and they told me that they cleared all the all the samples, I was like, mm -hmm. yo, they gonna really put this out. <laughs> <laughs> it's happening. Happen. <laughs> Which you know back back then. You know, it like wasn't the same type of care. You know, I think that's another yeah. thing about this record. This album release was fucked up. Nothing went the way that it should have went back in the day. Back in the day when Young One Records slash Partisan put out this album, they fumbled every single ball that you could have <laughs> passed. Through. The album came out June 2013. That's pre-streaming, digital download era. The first week when the album came out, we had Hood Party on Pitchfork. We were getting a lot of positive reviews about, about Hood Party and like another track that we leaked and like the BKY song. We had a big party for that at the uh, flat in Brooklyn and um, Noisy and Vice sponsored it and all the homies DJed and it was a fucking movie. The first week the album came out in June 2013, it was not available on iTunes. So all the promo and all the setup just left me with an inbox 
full of people being like, I can't find the album. I can't buy the album. Like I probably got at least a couple hundred DMs, emails around then of people being like, yo, I can't get the album. So I tell them, yo, well, the CD is still up. So go and cop the CD if you want to support me. But that's really like, that's like not what they want. They like want to get the album in the way they know it. That would be like me dropping an album now, but it's not on Spotify for like the first month that it's out. Right. Like, like never got on iTunes for like a month, I think. And by that point, the hype had died down. You know, the, like the initial hype of the album release. And I'm a new artist. My booking agent at the time had some type of crisis. Quit, quit, quit working at the agency. Stop, stop booking. So I had no like tour. So that really felt like, yo, the album never really got the audience that it should have got. The only thing that kind of saved the album in my mind is when all the Spotify shit started happening through the algorithmic playlist. Yep. BKNY got a second life. And in 2015, two years after the album came out, I had more people than ever hitting me up about that song and about that album by just pure luck. So with all that in mind, we felt like, yo, we want to honor this album and put it out the right way. We want to put it out on vinyl, which it never got. We want to make sure that it is available everywhere. And with everything that we've learned in the 10 years since you made that album, we want to make it sound as wonderful as possible. And Partisan was down. They too felt felt bad about all the fuckery that happened back in the day, and they wanted to make it right, and they are. Man, yeah. when when is it? When is the the full project dropping again? It's dropping on December first. Smart oh. ass black boy Redux, and I want to talk about the title too. I'm gonna yeah. send you some image. There was this book that I bought back in the day called Def Jam Inc. It is out of print right now. And it's written by this woman that used to work for Russell Simmons. And it's basically her telling like an unfiltered history of their label. And it's in Stacey that book, huh? Isn't her, isn't her name Stacy Garaseva? Yes. 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 Brilliant book, man. She's why I named this album Smart Ass Black Boy. Uh, do you talk to her? I got to tell her that, dude. She I have never spoken to her. Oh my God. All right. Work, work. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that. So, so in this book, there's a picture of the Beastie Boys, who I always loved. And they're sitting with Vanessa Williams, I think. Like, she's like one Miss, um, Miss America. America. Like that, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And they're with their DJ, DJ Hurricane. And yes. he has a hat. And on his hat, it says, smart-ass black boy. Like, wow, that is such an ill statement. Because one, you can take it in so many ways. One, it's like smart. I'm like a smart person. Two, it's like I'm a smart ass. Right. Three, <laughs> it uses the term boy, which is used as a derogatory term for black men in the US for many, many years. And it's like using the N-word or something, flipping it on you like, yo, this is what 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 like you're throwing at me? I am reminding you of your own fuckery, mm. and I thought that that was just such a deep and a unique phrase. Never saw anyone else use that phrase before or after, 
And from the moment I saw that picture, I was like, this is what I'm going to name my next album. And I actually met him once when I played a show at the Earl in Atlanta, Georgia. And I got to tell him to his face that it's that picture that inspired me to make this album. Hell yeah. That's that's dope, man. Uh, so smart ass black boy redux out December 1st. Uh, I will make a baby in this damn economy out right now. Uh, right now. Fat Tony, we always appreciate you having you on the program, man. Just thanks so much. Thank you, man. Y'all are the shit. Y'all are the <laughs> one, not the two. <laughs> <laughs> What's up?